Welcome to Dobbylicious Podcast, episode 10. I'm Michael John, your host, and I'll be sharing personal anecdotes while going through a chapter of Harry Potter, adding an infusion of information from outside the books. I'm really pleased that we've made it to 10 episodes, so thanks very much to everyone for tuning in. Today I'll be talking about chapter 10 of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone titled Halloween, and this podcast episode is called Taming a Troll. And just a heads up, there's a story towards the end of this podcast which contains a naughty word. So the chapter begins with Harry and Ron feeling that they'd had a great adventure the night before, running from Filch where they escape Fluffy the three-headed dog, and as a result of this adventure, Hermione isn't talking to them. And in the book it says that Hermione is refusing to speak to Harry and Ron, as though that might be something that's bad for them. And this made me laugh because I love that Hermione is so confident that people want to hear her opinion that she thinks depriving Harry and Ron of her take on their behaviour is going to be negative for them. And also, it's difficult to refuse someone something that they don't want. So she obviously hasn't twigged yet that people find her annoying, but Ron is going to bring her down to earth in a few pages' time. Anyway, so a large package arrives in the post for Harry, which is not discreet in its arrival at all, and there's a note attached telling Harry that the package is a broomstick and that he should keep it a secret, which... Seems like an oxymoron in itself, the delivery and the note, and presumably McGonagall could have found a more discreet way to deliver Harry a broomstick if she really wanted to. And you have to feel for Ron in this scene because he's in awe of Harry's broomstick and he says, a Nimbus 2000, I've never even touched one. And it was definitely a reminder that while Ron has had a lot of fundamentally important things in place in his life, like his family or going to Hogwarts, he definitely doesn't have any luxuries. And this actually reminded me of a friend who, when she got new clothes, would leave the tag on because she wasn't used to getting new stuff and she liked the feeling that what she had was new. And although I wasn't a big shopper in my youth, it definitely made me appreciate what I have a lot more than I did. So Harry and Ron leave the Great Hall to unwrap the Nimbus 2000, but they're intercepted by Malfoy, who grabs Harry's parcel to see what it might be, and he realises that it's a broomstick. And Ron makes fun of Malfoy's Comet 260 being slower than the Nimbus 2000, even though Ron obviously doesn't have a decent broomstick himself. But I thought this is indicative of Harry and Ron's friendship, because how often do you get a gift which you can then share the fun of with a friend, almost as though they're receiving the gift as well? So rather than Harry receiving a broomstick, it's a bit like Harry and Ron are receiving a broomstick. And I was talking to my girlfriend about this, and she said that when she was a teenager... She and her friends loved handbags, but none of them had a designer handbag until one day one of the girls in the group got one and she brought it to school and apparently it was like the group had received this designer handbag and they had fun admiring the new bag with all its fashionable features or whatever. And this was without anyone getting jealous about it, which sounds a bit like Harry and Ron admiring the Nimbus 2000 later in this chapter. And I guess the the way I can relate to this is that For me, this happens with my relatives mainly, where I don't mind them using my stuff more or less like it's theirs. But I thought that Harry's reaction of sharing the excitement of getting a Nimbus 2000 with Ron was indicative of their friendship. And it actually reminded me of when I was young and I got a new bicycle. I took it to the park and before even riding it myself, one of my friends asked if she could ride it. And I said no, which made her really upset, so she stormed off into the forest. 
And I went after her in case she got lost, and then we both got lost for about an hour, and it became a thing, and I found a way out of the forest eventually, so when we got to the safety of our parents, I proclaimed myself a hero to her mum for saving the two of us. So the fact that Harry and Ron can enjoy their gifts together is also a good thing, because they won't get into mini-dramas like this, where maybe Ron storms off to the Forbidden Forest and creates a whole fiasco. But anyway, an interesting fact about broomsticks that I read is that apparently the Nimbus Racing Broom Company dominated the competition until the Firebolt came out, which Harry gets, obviously, in book three. And when choosing materials to make a broomstick, apparently the twigs used in the brush portion can affect performance, so the twigs of birch give more oomph, apparently, in higher sense, whereas hazel is better for extra-sensitive steering. But in this chapter, Harry's broom is just described as having neat, straight twigs, so we don't know what type of twigs Harry has. And then Malfoy tries to report Harry for having a broomstick, and this is what I mean when in previous episodes I'd mentioned that I don't find Malfoy overly impressive because he keeps trying to get Harry into trouble by telling on him, which doesn't seem very cool. But I think this idea we have about Malfoy being this arch-enemy character is painted by Harry's feelings towards him, rather than the fact that Malfoy is, in reality, a bit of a loser, like when he joins the Inquisitorial Squad in Book 5. Need I say more? But anyway, so then Harry explains to Professor Flitwick that it's really thanks to Malfoy that, that Harry has his broomstick. This is like Harry getting his own back on Malfoy. It's a kind of drop-the-mic moment for Harry. So then... Harry's waiting in suspense all day to go to Quidditch practice in the evening, and at 7 o'clock he heads down to the Quidditch pitch. So just a sneak peek about what's coming up in the next episode, I'm going to be interviewing a performance analyst who works for a professional football-slash-soccer team, and he's going to be doing a tactical breakdown of Harry's first Quidditch match, so stay tuned for that, and keep an eye out for any tactical animations of what happens in the match on the podcast social media platforms, because the films are not loyal to the play-by-play of the book Quidditch Match, and from what I remember, half the time it's literally just on Daniel Radcliffe's facial expressions, so I think this tactical breakdown is going to be cool. So Harry arrives at his one-on-one Quidditch practice, and Wood explains the rules to Harry, who then says, okay, so Quidditch is like basketball, but on broomsticks with six hoops. And Wood says, what's basketball? And okay, Wood is about to throw a load of golf balls for Harry to catch in their practice sessions, so presumably this means that Wood knows about golf, even though golf is a muggle sport. So I thought maybe that's because they're in Scotland, and apparently golf originated in Scotland, where people would attempt to hit a pebble over sand dunes and around tracks while using a bent stick or a club, which was the early form of golf. And it's also quirky that one of the only muggle items we ever hear about being at Hogwarts are golf balls. So, it's feasible that Wood doesn't know about basketball, because apart from being a a wizard, basketball also wasn't a major sport in the UK back then in 1991, which is when this scene would be taking place. Although, in 1991, Michael Jordan won his first NBA championship for the Chicago Bulls, where he beat Magic Johnson's LA Lakers, so since those two are two of the most iconic basketball players of all time, it's feasible that news could have reached us across the pond, So Harry's practicing to be a seeker, and having read a little bit about the position of seeker on wizardingworld.com, I thought it was interesting because it seems like that position during a Quidditch match actually parallels Harry's journey as a character in the books, because it says that the seeker soars above the gritty competition below them, and irrespective of what happens in the game, 
The seeker ignores the score to search for the snitch, independent of what's happening below them. And this made me think of Harry's journey being one where he very much has a specific task of beating Voldemort, and irrespective of what else is going on in the wizarding world, which is very different for everyone else compared to what Harry experiences, Harry is on his own independent journey. And also the first snitch was forged in Godric's Hollow, where Harry lived with his parents when he was a baby, so maybe there's some kind of symbolic link there. Also, during this practice session, Wood doesn't actually tell Harry what the bludger's going to do, and just releases it, and it flies to Harry's face. So I thought that was an interesting coaching strategy. So then Harry gets stuck into the school year, and we hear that the castle feels more like home than Privet Drive had ever done, which is something that Harry shares in common with Voldemort. And I have a theory that Joe Rowling essentially wrote Harry and Tom Riddle as two characters who were essentially the same except that one grew up with love and the other didn't to show the power that love has in forming a person, which is a major theme of the books. So then Harry goes to his charms lesson, and during this lesson they need to make a feather float in midair, and Ron gets paired with Hermione, so we get this famous scene where Ron is, quote, waving his long arms like a windmill as he tries to swish and flick his wand to cast the spell to get the feather to float. And Hermione, who he doesn't like anyway, corrects him and says, You're saying it wrong. It's Wingardium Leviosa. Make the gar nice and long. And then she proceeds to show Ron how it's done. And this actually reminded me of trying to help someone with their pronunciation once. When I went to Portobello Market in London with a friend, and we were just walking through the market looking at the stalls. Actually, my favourite stall belonged to this guy who just sells magnifying glasses and shaving razors. It's a very niche selection of products. And the unique selling point is that they've got these really ornate handles. And I just love the fact that this guy thought, this is what people need. He's going to make a living just by selling these products. Anyway, so we walked through the market and we went to get some food. And as we were ordering drinks, my friend said, I think I'll have the pomegranate juice. And it took me a few seconds to realise that she was talking about pomegranate juice. So I said, oh, do you mean pomegranate? And she said, yeah, yeah, pomegranate. And I went, um... Yeah, but that's not how you pronounce it. And she insisted that's how people in Detroit in America pronounce pomegranate. But then we went into a bakery and she said she was going to try the merengues. And I was like, do you mean the meringues? And then after that, she suggested going for a walk by the Tame River. And I said, sorry, do you mean the Thames River? And in hindsight, I realised that probably because I have a British accent and we were in London... Maybe she thought that pomegranate was a posh local way of saying it and then she covered her tracks with this story about the Detroit thing. So if anyone from Detroit is listening, how do you say pomegranates in Detroit? Because it's been a question at the back of my mind for about a decade now. So Ron is annoyed with Hermione and he's in a bad temper at the end of class and he tells Harry, it's no wonder no one can stand her, she's a nightmare. And then Hermione overhears this, she gets upset and goes to the bathroom for some privacy and she's still there when a troll breaks into the castle. So this leads to the scene where Harry and Ron accidentally lock her in the bathroom with the troll and then save her from the troll because Ron uses, ironically, Wingardium Leviosa. And I thought, it's interesting that Hermione subtly contributes to the plot so many times. In this case, she taught Ron how to cast that spell, which resulted in him being the hero in this scene. And also, an interesting fact I read about trolls on wizardingworld.com is that apparently they originated in Scandinavia and they are fearsome creatures up to 12 feet tall and can weigh up to a ton. And wizards attempted to distinguish between beings and beasts 
saying that any member of the magical community who walked on two legs was a being, but because trolls were so stupid, they had to amend their definition, because even though they walk on two legs, they had to classify trolls as beasts. And since it says they originated in Scandinavia, out of interest, I looked up what trolls are defined as in a Swedish encyclopedia from the 1940s, and it said that in Swedish folklore, trolls are supernatural beings which live in mountains, woods, or under the earth, and they're invisible to humans, but they can appear in giant or dwarf form, and they're thought to live in families in, in a troll society, basically. And apparently there's also a myth that if someone in the family is very unlike the other family members, it's because a troll has swapped them for a troll baby at birth. And I actually had an experience with a troll, or at least someone who was like a troll, which was on a night bus in London. And just a heads up, some parts of this story might seem a bit far-fetched, but I swear on Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone that this is all true, and there are also witnesses, the friends I was with. So I'd been out with three friends, and we were going to get the night bus home. And I'm sure that immediately anyone who's listening, who's lived in London, is thinking that whatever this story is about, it's plausible, because it happened on the night bus. Because the night bus is where people behave bizarrely, probably because usually people have been out and they're intoxicated with something, and it's the early hours of the morning, so everyone's tired and they're probably hungry, so you've got basically very fertile grounds for antisocial behaviour. So we were at the end of our night out, and we go to get on this bus, and there was this guy making a lot of noise at the back of the bus, and as soon as I stepped on the bus, this guy ran down the length of the bus, straight at me, and then just stopped about one metre away, and he just stood there staring at me. So I was thinking, okay, is this guy going to punch me? Is he, what, what is going to happen? And my friends weren't sure if they should get on the bus, and there was this awkward moment with kind of aggression in the air, which ended up coming to nothing. This guy just didn't do anything, so we got on the bus, and obviously it was a double-decker bus, so we went upstairs to avoid him, and this is the guy who plays the troll character in the story. So on our journey home, we could hear this troll running around, making a nuisance of himself on the ground level, and he was yelling at the bus driver that he wanted to go somewhere that the bus wasn't even going, and you could hear these bottles clinking a lot, so I guess he was drunk, and after some time he came upstairs, which is where we were, and he saw these two girls who were sitting right at the front of the bus, which, which are the best seats because of the big front window. And I thought, okay, girls have ways of evading trolls that they don't want attention from, so I'm sure these girls are going to pacify the situation. So anyway, he goes up to these girls and he punches one in the shoulder and goes, Oi! And this girl just turned around and went, Seriously? Just fuck off! And I think everyone on the top level of the bus just collectively thought, Oh no, this cannot be good. And lo and behold, this troll just went ballistic, started yelling almost at the top of his lungs. I mean, it was very loud, and he was gesticulating madly, just like waving his arms around, and he kind of backed these girls into the corner of the seats they were sitting in. And I genuinely thought this troll could go over the top and actually hit one of these girls. So I stood up and I went, Wingardium Leviosa, because I was really drunk. Now, obviously I'm joking, but I thought someone has to do something fast or these girls are going to get hit. So I just, I had a look to see if he was, you know, carrying a knife or something, which I think is definitely prudent in London. And it didn't look like it. So I walked over, put my hand on this guy's shoulder and I just said, mate, just calm down. No one here wants any trouble. And one of the girls at that point took the opportunity to move out of the corner 
But her friend stayed stuck in the corner. And this guy was insisting it wasn't his fault. You know, they swore at him. It was their fault. So to pacify him, I just said, yeah, look, we all saw it. They swore at you. It's their fault. Just calm down. No one wants any trouble. And while doing that, I pulled the girl's arm who was stuck in the corner to indicate that she should leave now. And so she left. And I I didn't realize this, but as I was talking to this guy, the bus driver actually stopped outside a police station. So the troll calmed down a bit. And then he realised that the two girls had actually got out of the bus and they were in the police station. And so instead of keeping a low profile, the troll literally ran down to the lower floor of the bus, ran off the bus and into the police station. And I don't know, like, that just seemed to me to be the stupidest thing he could have done. So I don't know what he said, but we could just see him waving his arms around a lot at the policeman and these two girls. And then the bus driver took the opportunity to try and quickly take off But the troll realised this and chased after the bus and literally hurled himself at the door. So his arm got stuck in the door. I don't know if the bus driver just hadn't closed it when he initially set off, but the troll's arm was stuck in the door and my friends were watching out of the window as this guy was literally being dragged along by the bus. And one of the guys started yelling, he's under the bus, he's actually under the bus. And then the bus driver stopped and we went down to see what had happened because this was just an action-packed bus ride. And this troll was standing outside the bus with his arm stuck in the door. And a policeman walked down the road. The bus driver opened the door and the policeman just let let him go. A troll roaming the streets of London. Unbelievable. But then, yeah, we downloaded the Uber app shortly after that. So, night buses. If anyone is listening in London and has a crazy night bus story, as I'm sure loads of people do, feel free to write into the podcast. So in the Harry Potter scene... At first, Harry jumps on the troll and sticks his wand up the troll's nose. And after everything that's happened this past year, the first thing that came to mind is that Harry's just giving the troll a COVID test. But anyway, then, obviously, Ron knocks the troll out with its own club. The teachers come in uh, and demand to know what's happened. And Hermione stands up for Harry and Ron by taking the blame, which made me think, wow... I guess someone has to make the first move in order for reconciliation to take place. I mean, you could say that Harry and Ron did because they saved Hermione. But I would say Hermione made the first social move by going against her own principles and lying to get Harry and Ron out of trouble. But it made me think it wouldn't be a bad thing to not be too proud to make the first move. And also, I don't know if this is a fact, but I'm sure that There's some evidence to show that negative experiences shared with other people are more bonding than positive experiences. Hence why sports teams go through these military-style challenges in their team bonding exercises, for example. So then the chapter ends with the three students going back to the Gryffindor common room. And there's an awkward pause as they look at each other and all just say, thanks. And then it says, from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other. So I think that's a good ending to the chapter. And that brings us to the end of episode 10. I really hope you've enjoyed listening and that you're looking forward to next week's episode where I talk to a professional performance analyst about a tactical breakdown of Harry's first Quidditch match. Until then, keep it dobbylicious. licious